John 19 and verse 30. Well, maybe you're, an, maybe you're not a Christian. You know, you're here in this room or you're watching and oh, for whatever reason you're here amongst Christians where they gather to worship or you're watching for some reason that I'm not aware of. And, you know, if you were to come to me and say, what must I do to be saved? There's a sense in which I might well say to you, well, it's, it's too late. That is, it's too late for you to try and do anything. Because everything that needed to be done to save you has already been done. And what remains is for you to receive it. There's no pilgrimage you need to go on. There are no works that you need to do. There's no change that you need to try and bring about. No, everything that needs to be done has been done. And that work of saving uh, has been accomplished The work's finished, and what remains then is for you to receive the gift. The work of salvation is finished. It seems to me that life is full of unfinished business. There's nothing in the world, it seems to me, uh, that is finished. It's half-finished projects, half-read books, how many... Half-read books are on your shelves. Work that's half done. And then the work that we think we've finished, when you think about it for a moment, you realize it's not really finished at all. There's so much more that could have been done or said. It could be improved in so many ways. Every single sermon that I have ever preached in my ministry, I think afterwards, this could have been improved in so many ways. And that's, that's my life's work, you know. I, I can look at, this is what my life is dedicated to, and I look back at it and I think, wow, that's just half-baked. So, everywhere you look, everything's unfinished, except here. Here on the cross, here as Jesus hangs, here as he's dying. He says, it's finished. It's one word in Greek. And that one word marks one of the two pivotal moments in human history. There are two key moments in human history. The first is the fall, fall of man. The second is the work of Christ. At the fall of man, all humanity is plunged into sin. With the work of Christ, a new humanity begins. Those two key moments... 
And it's to the second pivotal moment that we come this morning. This one solitary piece of business that is finished. It's the moment when Messiah, it's the moment when the Savior says, finished. And we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to think about the work he finished and the blessing he bestows. <clears throat> and as I said, if you're not a Christian, you're watching or you're, or you're here, it is an extraordinary kindness of God that he's going to allow you to hear about this. It's not that this is a great message, great sermon. It's a great truth. It's a great text. It's an extraordinary word, and it's the best news you could ever hear in your life. To hear that what is needed for your salvation, it has already been accomplished, and it is yours simply to receive. Well, let's think then about the work he finished. What did Jesus finish? Well, the text doesn't define for us what he finished, and the suggestions given are several. Well, we could say the law is fulfilled. After all, Jesus said in Matthew 5, I have come to fulfill the law, and that he did. You could say that a prophecy is fulfilled. All that's finished now. In fact, in verse 28 we find the same word used. <clears throat> the same word that we have in our text is used in verse 28. When we read, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said this to fulfill the Scriptures. So all the scriptural prophetic statements with reference to Jesus and what would happen during the Passion and at the cross, it was all fulfilled. And so... The law is fulfilled, and prophecy is fulfilled, and his suffering has been fulfilled. His suffering is over, and now all that awaits is the resurrection and the ascension and the Lord Jesus sitting down in the glory at the right hand of the Father. <clears throat> so all that's true. But all of that is part of this. What I mean is that salvation is finished. Salvation has been accomplished. That's the thing. When he says it's finished, it's that. It's salvation, the work of saving. He obeyed the law. And he fulfilled prophecy. And he suffered mightily in order that he might save. That's what's done. The work of salvation is done. Paul says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. It's done. That work is done. In Matthew 1.21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Jesus says, that's done. It's finished. In Acts 4.27, we read that Jesus came to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Jesus and all around him were fulfilling the will of God. We're living out and acting out the purposes of God. 
Jesus says, it's done. The purposes of God have been accomplished. You see, Jesus came to bring about what we might call the great exchange. We read in Paul that uh, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's why he came, to bring about this great exchange where he takes and carries our sin. And we are blessed with his righteousness. And we sing, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my uh, perfect and holy dress. And Jesus is saying, that's done. The great exchange has been accomplished. He came to bring about a great victory. It seems that this is a great defeat, but it's not. It's a great victory. He came to win a great victory. Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers of darkness. It was said that he would come and crush the head of the serpent. And that's what happens on the cross. He makes a public spectacle of them. He triumphs over them in it, Paul says in Colossians 2.15. The it is the cross. The them are the powers of darkness. He comes and he wins a great victory. And so he says, it's finished. That is, I've crushed the serpent. It's done. He came to redeem his people. That is, he came to pay a price so that they might be freed. He came to give his life a ransom for many so that they might be freed from their bondage and freed from the power of the devil and freed from the fear of death. He came to redeem them. The Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. And here he says, it's done. You don't need to try and redeem yourself because that redemption has already been accomplished. You could never redeem yourself but it's okay, because it's been accomplished. It's finished. He came to reconcile men to God. You are by nature estranged from God. You're by nature separated from God. There is a massive chasm and a gaping hole between you and God. You cannot get to him. You cannot work your way across. You cannot save yourself. But Jesus came in order to bring the two together. You are here in your sin and in your death and in your suffering. And God is here in his holiness and his splendor and his transcendence. And it seems never the twain shall meet. But Christ came in order to bring these two warring factions together. You angry at God for no good reason and God full of wrath towards you for he is a holy judge and Jesus comes to bring these two together. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and right here Jesus says that's done. That extraordinary thing has been accomplished. He came 
furthermore, to bear the wrath of God. He came so that he might be punished. And here in 1 John 4 and verse 10, we're told that this is the very essence of love, that Christ came to be propitiation. And what we have here is the very essence of the accomplishment that Jesus achieved. He's come and he dies and he says it's finished. The work of bearing wrath, the work of being punished, the work of draining the cup of God's wrath to its very dregs, that has been accomplished. There's nothing left to do. There's no judgment left to be experienced. There's nothing left in the cup. It is empty. It's all done. Salvation, it's finished. And so when Jesus says that one word, he's about to die. And he says the one word. And we need to understand that this is not, it's not a sigh of, of relief. It's not the exhausted expression of, of thankfulness such as we might utter after we've oh, finished some arduous task. I don't know the tone of his voice. But we'll find that out one day. But I know this, there's a cry of victory. It's with a loud voice. It's an exclamation. Because what's happened is that that which has been anticipated for centuries is done. That which is the greatest need of humanity, I mean the greatest need, we're surrounded by, by needs and troubles that leave us just bereft of any joy sometimes. But the greatest need has been, has been addressed and the work to meet that need has been accomplished. And that which was planned before the foundation of the world and everything was leading up to it. And now, finally, it's been accomplished. It's done. It is finished. It's an extraordinary moment. It's a glorious victory. When people think of the cross, they think of Christ the victor. There's a hymn that says, Jesus on the cross, my King. He's not been defeated on the cross. He's been victorious. The devil's not been victorious on the cross. He's been crushed. It's an extraordinary moment. It's a magnificent cry. And now he can sit down. You see, the Old Testament priests... They couldn't sit down. There's no chair in the holy place and in the holy of holies. No place to sit down. Why is that? Well, because the work continues. The work is never finished. The sacrifices are not at an end. 
There's always another sacrifice to be offered. There's always more blood to be shed. It's not finished. And day after day, they sacrifice. And year after year, they shed blood. And it's never done. And there's no sitting down. There's no resting. Until now. Until right now. Till this moment. And so when Jesus ascends into the glory, what are we told? Well, we're told that he sits down at the right hand of the majesty. Why is that? Well, it's finished. It's been, it's been accomplished. It's all done. Ridiculous for you to think then you can do something to earn your salvation. Oh, no. It's all done. Don't insult the Lord Jesus by saying, here, let me give you my tuppence. Let me add my little piece of work to yours. That's an insult. It's muddle-headed. It's wrong. It's sinful. No, he did it all. And all that needs to be done now, you need to receive it. It's finished, you see. Well, look, that's the work he accomplished. That's the work he finished. Now, secondly, the blessings he bestowed. The blessings he bestows. As I said, there are two pivotal moments in history. There's the fall of man and the work of Christ. And uh, what's happening is that you're suffering the consequences of the fall. And what we're praying is that you will begin today to enjoy the blessings of the work he finished. You're a sinner and you're experiencing the terrible, I mean, the horrific consequences of the fall, the horrific consequences of your sin. And you understand that that's why you're suffering. That's why there's trouble in the world. That's why the world is as it is. That's why people are the way they are. Sometimes you lament. You're like, why are people the way they are? Why do they do the things they do? Why am I the way I am? I do believe that in the, in the middle of the night you've asked that question. No, it's because of sin, isn't it? The Bible explains that. You're experiencing that. And we want you to, to enjoy the delights and the blessings of what Jesus accomplished. Well, the first Adam, he plunges us into sin. The last Adam can rescue us from judgment. Because, as I said, there are blessings he bestows. He finishes his work, and you can have an interest in that. This was not just for him. He did this... For his people. He did this for those who would believe in his name. If you believe in his name, he did it for you. What kinds of blessings? Well, I'm just going to give you a few because I couldn't possibly, like not possibly, explain it all to you. I mean, you'd end up going ballistic. You got to stop. You got to stop. I got lunch. You know, I can't possibly do that. So I'm going to give you a few hints, and you can go home and expand on it in your own mind. How about this? Praise. 
praise. In Psalm 40, in Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3, we read this. Get there in one minute. Psalm 40, I wait patiently for the Lord. Oh, yes, there it is. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, he, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So what has God done for believers? Well, he's lifted them up out of their sin. There's this miry clay. There's this pit of destruction. There's this horrible place where they used to live. And he's lifted them out of that. And he's put them on a solid rock, a place where they can stand firm and their feet won't slip. And he's put a new song in their mouth. Now, they've known sorrow. And they've known sadness. And they've experienced death. And corruption has eaten away at their soul. And so they've grieved. But now he's saved them. And he's put them on a solid place. And he's put a song in their mouth. A new song. A song they couldn't sing before. A song they didn't know about before. Truths that they were not familiar with. But now they sing that song. Because he's given it to them. He's put it in their minds and in their hearts. And so now they, they live to his praise. And that characterizes their life. It doesn't mean they don't shed tears. It doesn't mean that everything's all sweetness and light. But nonetheless, now, they can say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. And so, Christian, your life is a doxology. You know, we're going to sing. We're going to conclude our service with the doxology. But your life itself is a doxology. Your existence, your very existence as a Christian is a praise to God. It's a hymn of praise to God. We have hymns of the faith and we have hymns of grace and you are a hymn of praise. You're a monument to grace. And people look at you and they see what's happened in your life and they see who you are becoming and they give praise to God. You are someone who is, not just who does things, but you're someone who is to the praise of the glory of His grace. You know that phrase that's repeated in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. That's you. You are to the praise of the glory of His grace. You are a great hymn. So that's the first blessing because whatever your life's about and whatever you think your purpose is in this world and however you might lament who you are and what your purpose is, you need to think about this. I am and I exist for the praise of God. I'm a monument to His grace. My goodness, what a significant life you and I have. Secondly, rest as another blessing is rest. 
Listen to, um, listen to Augustus' top lady. Now he's talking about really about rest, but how secure and safe we are. He says, from whence this fear and unbelief has not the Father put to grief a spotless son for me? And will the righteous judge of men condemn me for that debt of sin which Lord was charged on thee? Complete atonement thou hast made, and to the utmost farthing paid whatever thy people owed. How then can wrath on me take place if sheltered in thy righteousness and sprinkled with thy blood? Why should I worry? Because you've taken care of everything. Because it's all finished, you see. If thou, my if thou hast my discharge procured and freely in my room endured the whole of wrath divine, payment God cannot twice demand, first at my bleeding surety's hand and then again at mine. I can't be judged because he was judged. It's finished. It's all done. There's not one scintilla of wrath and judgment that will fall upon me because he said, it's finished. It's done. It's complete. I've done it all. You have to face nothing on the judgment day. You can raise your voice and your face with joy when you stand before the risen and glorified Christ and the judge of all the earth. You're safe. It's finished. Turn then, my soul, unto thy rest. Thy merits, the merits of thy great high priest, have bought thy liberty. Trust in his efficacious blood, nor fear thy banishment from God, since Jesus died for thee. That's a place of rest. You can just, you can just relax. Everything's okay. Our default is that we think we need to do something. But he says it's finished. That rest, you see, my friend, if you're not a Christian, that rest can be yours. That rest where you begin to realize, I am safe for time and eternity. That rest where you say, there is no judgment for me. When I lay my head on the pillow at night, I need not lie there agonizing over what will happen when the judgment comes because I'm safe, because I'm trusting him, the one who said it's finished. It's rest. Jesus said, come, you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That can be yours. You can be safe before you leave this room, before you walk out that door, you can be safe. You can be resting in Jesus. This word finished, when they used it in, in the business world, it would mean something like paid in full. Hey, you and I, we love paid in full. It's nice to see paid in full. Got some mammoth debt. And then at some point you see Paid in full. It's like, oh, that's fabulous. But you have untold sins that have brought extraordinary judgment upon you. And when you trust in Jesus, the debt is gone. In the ledger, it says, of you, it says, it's all paid. It's paid in full. Not because you're anything special. Not because he finished the work for you. 
There's rest for you, you see. There's a feast. Are you getting hungry? Are you thinking, boy, how long is he going to go on? I'm just starting to get a little peckish. There's a feast for you. There's life for you. There's forgiveness for you. There's the knowledge of God for you. There's a feast of blessings that's been set before you. And Jesus bids you eat. Oh, man. One writer says, when, when the Buddha died, I, I'd not heard this. I haven't had time to check it, but a fairly reliable, reliable source. He said, when the Buddha, Gautama the Buddha, founder of Buddhism, it's reported that by tradition that his last words were, strive without ceasing. His last words are to his disciples, strive without ceasing. Jesus' words on the cross, I've done it. There's nothing that remains for you to to strive about. I've done it. It's all finished, you see. Religion, this writer says, tells us to finish the work. You've got to go out and do something. Go out and give something. Go out and go somewhere. And Jesus says, receive. Everybody else says, you need to do this. You need to pay that. You need to accomplish the other. And Jesus says, just take it from my hand. Just receive it from my heart. This is a gift. This is free. And most of us here, we've received it. And we urge you to receive as well. There's rest. Oh, and there's humility. There's humility. Because he did everything. You've not contributed one iota to the work. The, the, the Mona Lisa of salvation, you've not come along and you know, added a touch here and added a stroke there. You would deface that. You would destroy that if you did it. No, you've got nothing to offer. You've got nothing to offer. The only thing you bring to the table is the sin from which you need to be saved. That's the only thing you, you have to offer here. Well, that's, that's just humbling. That's humiliating. But you know, the best place to be is on your knees at the cross. Because that means you've come to him for life. But it's uh, It's humbling. And then this is how we walk as Christians, isn't it? We walk knowing that we've brought nothing. We walk knowing we can boast about nothing. And the Christian who boasts is like a, well, he's, he's, he or she is like the little child. You, you, you know, mom and dad are helping the little ones swim. You've got your hand under their belly and you're moving them. And they're just doing this and the no rhyme or reason to the movement of arms and legs. And they just, look, 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 I'm swimming. And it's like, yeah, you're swimming, but, you know, no, you're not really. And it's like, 
but they think they are. And a Christian who thinks he's got anything to contribute and thinks he's got anything to boast about and walks around thinking, boy, I put my thumb in and I pull it out and what a good boy I am. And you think, oh, it's just ridiculous. A proud Christian is just a contradiction in terms. We've done and contributed nothing. It's all of him. So we, we should start off humbly in the Christian life and get humbler as we move along. Number, the next one is awe. Oh my goodness, i got to move quickly here. Is awe. Think about forsaken and think about finished. Think about forsaken where he bears the punishment. And he bears the punishment for all your sin. Think about forsaken. He bears the punishment for all my sin. Think about forsaken. He, he bears the punishment for all the sins of a multitude that no man can number. And he bears the punishment that all of us deserved, which is an eternity of punishment. If you were to bear the punishment for one sin, you would suffer forever, but you have a multitude of sins, a lifetime of sins, all of which merit eternal punishment, and there's an infinite number, not an infinite number, but a multitude that no man can number, and Jesus bears the punishment for them, and the eternal punishment that they deserve, this multitude that no man can number, and he does it all. And then he says, it's finished. And if, if you don't just stagger backwards in all, you just don't get it. So this is just awe-inspiring. Spurgeon says, it would need all the other words that were ever spoken or ever could be spoken to explain this one word. It is altogether immeasurable. It is high, I cannot attain to it. It is deep, I cannot fathom it. The second last implication is holiness. Or oh, if he's done this, if he's done all this, and if he's done this so perfectly as to say, it's finished. I had better not take that sin lightly for which the Lord Jesus died. We must be serious about sin. You cannot, you cannot listen to this and you cannot remember the Lord Jesus in his death and then walk out and with a cavalier mind indulge in sin with a high hand and a careless heart. No, no. This is serious. And I'm serious about growing in holiness when I think about what he did. My song is love unknown. My Savior's love to me. Love to the loveless shown, that I might lovely be. Why has he done this? Why has he undertaken this work? Why has he finished this work? So that you might escape hell? That's part of it. It's so that you might be lovely. so that you might be lovely, so that you might be righteous, so that you might be beautiful, so that you might be perfect, 
so that you might be perfectly in his image, so that you might look just like Jesus. That's why he did it. That's what we were predestined to. You read Romans 8. And he did it for that reason. And he wants you perfect. He wants you just like himself for the praise of the glory of his grace. So don't sin lightly. Take holiness seriously. And the last is trust. The last blessing is is trust. It's finished, isn't it? The work is done, but he's not stopped working. He's not stopped working. He His work is finished, but he has some other things to do as well. What's he doing? What is the Lord Jesus doing for you? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 25 says, For he must reign until all his enemies are under his feet. What's the Lord Jesus doing? Well, he's reigning over everything. This world's not chaotic. This country of ours is not out of control. Jesus is on the throne. He's ruling. He's watching over you. When you go home today, his eye is upon you every step of the way. He's praying for you. He's always praying for you. Always. There's not a moment that he's not praying for you. There's not a moment that he's not interceding for you. He's always. Like, just try and grasp that. He's always praying for you. He cares about you. You know, we might all turn turn on you like rabid dogs. (laughs) And Jesus will care for you. His eye is always upon you. He's always with you. He's always providing for you. He'll even provide the difficult things that you need to go through. He'll provide, he has the grace and the wisdom to provide you with what we call good things. And he has the grace and wisdom to provide you with what we think are bad things. But things we need. Sometimes we need the cancer to be cut away. Sometimes we need to be driven to our knees. He'll provide everything you need. He's always working. He's with you at every step. He's with you in the valley of the shadow of death. Some of you have been in the valley of the shadow of death and people you've loved and loved dearly have been taken away from you and you have found, have you not, that you haven't been alone because he's been with you. And you found that his rod and his staff have comforted you. So, what does it mean? Well, it means the work's finished and we're saved. And now, now we just walk by faith. Now we just trust him. And we'll be fine. And we'll be okay. Well, we heard today, we're going to be better than okay. It's going to be grace. It's going to be unspeakably glorious. So, walk by faith, and all is well. Let's pray. Oh, our Father, we're so grateful to you. We can't imagine where and what we would be if Jesus had not come, if he had not loved us, if he had not died for us, if he had not worked for us, if he had not said, finished. So we praise you for him and we pray that those who sit in this room, uh, when they sat down, they were strangers to God and to grace. 
Oh, we pray that before they rise, before they stand up, before they walk out, they will have come to the Lord Jesus for life. Grant this for his name's sake. Amen.